0: This month's episode is dealing with a very sensitive topic. We couldn't come up with an intro that didn't seem in poor taste to us. That isn't usually something we worry about, but since we'll be talking about assassinations, we wanted to be respectful and start the show with a list of the biggest assassinations that shaped the world. May their souls rest in peace. 1865. United States President Abraham Lincoln. Rest in peace. What was that? Oh, sorry, sorry, I got it under control, don't worry. It won't happen again. What were you we saying? Okay, I guess I'll keep going. 1914, the Archduke Franz Ferdinand, rest in peace. <music> Greg, what is happening? I can't, the button's stuck, it won't stop. This is the most disrespectful we have ever been. I don't know about that. Well, what do I do? Just keep going, I can edit it out later. Are you sure you can edit this out? Positive. Alright. 1948, Mahatma Gandhi, rest in peace. 1918, Tsar Nicholas II, rest in peace. I can't do this, pull the plug. Alright! That's better. 44 BC, Emperor Julius Caesar, rest in peace. Hey! What was that? Uh, sorry, I leaned on the sound effects board. Okay, well stop. 1916. Gregory Rasputin, the Mad Monk, rest in peace.
1: I lighted it in, lean on to the sound of board dung on haywire! <laughs> what do I do? Just keep going, I can edit out later! Alright!
0: 1940, Leon... <laughs> And the world was never the same. I think that was pretty respectful. You're sure you can edit that stuff out?
1: Yeah. Did I do that? That one stays.
0: Welcome!
1: Da-da-da-da-da welcome
0: welcome i cut you off I, we, You're we're not making it. music and stuart sutcliffe left the band Great. <laughs>
1: yeah he left at his own free will <laughs> i don't want to be part of no bug
0: band <laughs> i'm gonna go join this cool group the razor blades you'll hear about us i'm joining the birds <laughs> birds eat bugs birds eat bugs but turtles eat all watch out for the monkeys (laughs) alright well now that we've referenced the British invasion and the American backlash to it let's introduce ourselves just two boys from Liverpool here they are Daniel and Greg I'm Daniel, that's why I said my name first I wasn't trying to... Watch out ladies, he's taken
1: (laughs) Watch out ladies, he's single (laughs) Oh, references on references and nothing to do with our research (laughs) Research? (laughs) What is this you speak of? (laughs) I didn't search in the first place, how
0: can I research? We're back for yet another episode of LA Meekly 28! Episode 28 Close to 30. Once something's close to 30, it's irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Right, Logan's Run fans? (laughs) Pretty soon this podcast is going to lose touch with the youth (laughs) We're nothing without our youthful (laughs)
1: fan base We'll learn how to kickflip. I swear. <laughs> this month we'll be talking about two famous assassinations that happened in LA. uh Two people, of course, of course. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that's we talk about? what we Yeah,
0: that's the most logical thing that we would talk yeah, about. In palm trees April. and
1: surfing and assassinations <laughs> Palm tree and did it. It always does it. <laughs> two guys from the East Coast came to LA and it didn't turn out well. <laughs> <laughs> so let that be a lesson, to all of you. <laughs> Stay, Stay off our turf. I want you to do all your research in a Kennedy voice. But which Kennedy? Pick one. <laughs> Ethel,
0: my favorite Jack, Kennedy. Jack
1: Kennedy. Jack. Climbing off of Gloria Swanson. <laughs> Get out of me, you yeah. dirty bird.
0: <laughs> dirty bird. You dizzy dame. Well, how else do we introduce this? Um uh, April Fools. <laughs> no nah, right. That was a good one. That's Ha-ha-ha. one for the ages.
1: Ha-ha-ha. 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 The kids do Ha ha ha
0: April Fools This hasn't been a podcast All along (laughs) You've been wasting your time It's been a radio show (laughs) We thought we would have More assassinations To talk about But only two bad things Have ever happened In this city (laughs) And also They're long enough So what do you want I I know You want short ones You want long ones What do you want from us Goldilocks The podcast listener
1: (laughs) 45 minutes Just right
0: (laughs) This episode's Too offensive (laughs) This episode's Too bland This episode Doesn't have have enough sound effects in it.
1: Well, we got it all this time. They're all about bears now and porridge.
0: Ever since The Revenant, everyone cares about bears. Goldilocks, Grizzly Man, Country,
1: Jamborees. We should just talk about Disneyland for a couple hours.
0: What's your favorite ride, friend? You have the fast pass? That one where you go in the whale's mouth. <laughs>
1: the really scary one. Is Cinderella's Castle considered a ride? If you work there. <laughs> <laughs> what a ride. You're riding the minimum wage line. <laughs> <laughs> Which is $15 now, topical. Topical We should do an episode on that But we won't Because it's too topical We're old boys (laughs) We believe in slave
0: labor I mean child labor.
1: I mean they built I mean Big a mountain.
0: <laughs> all right, let's get this Please. started. I'm going to start with my assassination. Of yourself. Yeah. You're all going to listen to me assassinate Greg, and then I'm going to Harry Carry myself. <laughs> Who are you going to be talking about, friend? I'm going to be talking about the most cursed family in American history. <laughs> well, one member in particularly. <laughs> the Arquettes. <laughs> Courtney. David.
1: <laughs> Not Patricia. She's fine. She's the Ted Kennedy of the Arquettes.
0: <laughs> Here we go. I'm going to be talking about Robert... F. Kennedy. Oh, I wasn't ready for that. Did you know that there was a second one?
1: Yeah, I wasn't aware. What
0: happens to him? Does it turn out well? Yeah. I mean, it can't be had any worse than what happened to John F. Kennedy. As the devil once asked, who killed the Kennedys? Well, after all, it was you and me, and Lee Harvey Oswald and Sirhan Sirhan. <laughs> in particular them. And all the second shooters. <laughs> but it was all of us. Turn yourself in. Call your local cop. <laughs> Run outside to the night watchman and... The constable. <laughs> I've been a naughty boy constable. <laughs> Please take me in. I assassinated... Robert F. Kennedy. Oh, well. Oh, crazy kids. If you haven't heard, John F. Kennedy was shot and killed in Dallas on November 22nd, 1963.
1: I've heard of such things.
0: Well, I didn't, okay? This is all very distressing to me. <laughs> On February 21st, 1965, Malcolm X was assassinated. Yes. On June 23rd, 1967, was the incident in Century City we talked about last month, right. where the visiting president, Lyndon B. Johnson's life was felt to be in peril due to uh, stink bombs
1: and cockroaches. <laughs> Supreme saved him, though. Uh,
0: This was during the country's first large-scale anti-Vietnam protest. January 38th. January
1: 38th. The 60s were
0: crazy. Even the months were on drugs. (laughs) When will January end? Wake me when January ends. January 31st. You need to take a deep breath. (laughs) <laughs> January 31st of 1968 was the Tet Offensive, one of the bloodiest events of the Vietnam yes. War. February 1968, Vietnam casualties took a steep increase and they just kept going up, from, still to this day. March 1968 was the My Lai Massacre, where U.S. Mm-hmm. troops killed 500 Vietnamese civilians. In April 1968, more troops were sent to Vietnam. There was violence at the Democratic National Convention in Chicago, and on the 4th of April, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, followed by race riots throughout the country. Yeah and violence were the new law of the land. Welcome to The Walking Dead. (laughs) Out of this came an episode four. A New Hope. Robert Francis Kennedy. He was born November 20th, 1925 in Boston, nah. Chowderland. <laughs> he was the younger brother of John F. Kennedy. Like his brother, he got into politics and had actually been on the legal staff of the House Un-American Activities Committee in mm. the 50s. do Don't Please don't hold that against <laughs> him. Don't let one blemish on his record he tarnish his young. reputation. He was young. He didn't yeah. know what he was doing. He thought it was cool to convict <laughs> people from other countries. He went on to be JFK's campaign manager when he got elected both to the Senate in 1952 and as president in 1961 when he was rewarded for his service by being made Attorney General of the United States until his brother was killed and in 1964 was elected as a Democratic Senator from New York. RFK hated LBJ and when it it became clear that LBJ was not going to be running for re-election partly because of what happened in Century City, Mm -hmm. RFK decided to throw his chowder in the ring and decided to run for president early on in his campaign on march 26 1968 mm-hmm. he even gave a speech at san fernando valley college wow. now csun unfortunately <laughs> the kennedy family has some sort of weird podcast over them as we know maybe from the activities of their patriarch <laughs> joseph p kennedy that we talked about i think in the downtown theater episode yeah he was like accused of raping someone in the pantages theater or something. no he accused oh, someone else yeah. of doing that that's right good guy (laughs) not a rapist good guy Yeah. RFK was completely shattered after he lost his brother and for the rest of his life he was apparently consumed by feeling both guilt of losing his brother and also disbelief in the official story during his speech at CSUN students shouted at him asking him who really killed his brother and yeah classy classy Classy. from the beginning and in a rare public address of his personal feelings about that incident he said that if he became president he would make those files public and get to the bottom of what really happened meanwhile And that put a target on him (laughs) From then on he had this weird red dot On his forehead (laughs) Meanwhile RFK was sweeping through the primaries Think Donald Trump but good Oh I can't Donald Trump but white (laughs) He was splitting a lot of the vote With the other leading democrat Eugene McCarthy But the things RFK was promising And what he came to symbolize Were winning more and more people over Mm -hmm. Like He was pro-civil rights and anti-Vietnam That made him popular among Mexican and African Americans After what the country had been through In the past five years he wanted to reunite the country in the name of peace and understanding and racism.
1: <laughs> good old fashioned I don't like you.
0: <laughs> good old fashioned Boston Irish racism. <laughs> he would often state we can do better. Oh, so he believed in us. He, he believed in the country. He's Harvey Dent. He's he half, is, of Harvey he Dent. half of
1: Harvey Dent. He is half of Harvey Yeah, okay. That's funny.
0: People hoped he would be able to end the Vietnam War and bring racial harmony. They looked to him for change. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound very different from what it was like when Obama was running yeah. for president or a lot of what's surrounding Bernie Sanders right now. Yeah. Only for RFK he actually probably would have won compared to Bernie <laughs> Sanders. On June 4th, he won the California primary and mm-hmm. was about to receive the Democratic presidential nomination and would have gone on to face against Richard Nixon. And Good he boy. certainly would have beaten Richard Nixon. Yeah. He was 42 years old. I was even younger than his brother was when he became president. And there was just so much Positivity and so much yeah. hope surrounding him He wouldn't live long past June 4th <laughs> mm. So let's take a look At where RFK was on June 4th When the country fell apart yet again In the 1960s, the Ambassador Hotel It was designed by Myron Hunt It opened January 1st, 1921 New Year's Day New Year's Day At 3400 Wilshire Boulevard Across the street from the original Brown Derby Would open up a few yeah. years later At the opening party, there were 3,000 guests there Including Mrs. Doheny, whose son would be murdered A few years ah, later murder. Not in a Assassination. <laughs> a, Plain old murder. Yeah, a good old-fashioned American murder. Who done it? Not why done it. <laughs> the hotel was eight stories high with 512 rooms spread out over 25 acres of land. Strangely, RFK was staying in room 512 oh. the night he was killed. Yeah, spoiler alert. Inside the hotel was the Coconut Grove Nightclub, which yes. was a huge movie star hotspot and was furnished with palm trees from the set of Rudolph Valentino's The Sheik.
1: Ah. Mm-hmm. What, ta- what episode did we talk about the Coconut Grove? Have we
0: ever talked about it? Yeah, I talked about it. I just don't remember what episode. Oh, the Coconut episode. Oh, yeah, all coconuts. We were on Gilligan's Island. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. remember that one? Both Bing Crosby and Merv Griffin started their singing careers here at the Coconut Grove. There was also an iconic coffee shop inside designed by Paul R. Williams who also did the Fountain Coffee Room in the Beverly Hills Hotel, Ah. which we ate at once.
1: Uh It was expensive
0: and nice. The bill was my favorite part. (laughs) (laughs) He also designed the theme building at LAX and parts of the Nazi compound Murphy Ranch. Oh, wow, he's getting around. Yeah, well, come on. (laughs) He's a (laughs) Nazi. What do you expect? He was also the first black member of the Nazi party <laughs> first black member of the American Institute of Architects and would not have been served inside the very coffee shop he designed wow. because it wasn't integrated until the 50s the first black person to stay at the Ambassador Hotel was Lena Horn, who decided oh. to stay there instead of the Dunbar Hotel which she normally stayed at Howard Hughes and Gloria Swanson lived here for a while mm-hmm. every president from Hoover to Nixon stayed here Marilyn Monroe signed with her first modeling agency at the hotel and the Fitzgerald's once set fire to their bungalow during a visit Ha 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 so <laughs> place, <laughs> <ain't that them. laughs> This place is like It's steeped in the lore yeah. Of our characters from the past episodes It certainly is yeah This part of Wilshire was pretty much just a dirt road when they opened And boys and it's still
1: <laughs> oh, oh my god But their presence
0: promoted the development Of the whole area and mm. eventually They held six Oscar ceremonies here Over 400 people worked there on any given day In its prime but on the night of June 4th There were only about 244 People on staff and already the hotel and the surrounding area were starting to get run down. So the California primaries had been that day, June 4th and RFK was up in the royal suite waiting for the results to come in with his staff and wife and a few celebrities including Milton Berle. (laughs) old
1: horse part himself. Yeah, he needed
0: room 513 to keep keep the door open between the two. I want to get comfortable. Late at night it became clear that he was the Democratic winner, so he was to go downstairs into the embassy ballroom to give his victory speech. To avoid a crowd, they took the service elevator and went through the kitchen, and a little after midnight, RFK gave his speech and at 12.14am, he ended his speech with, now it's on to Chicago and let's win there, while the crowd chanted, we want Bobby! We want Bobby! We Mm -hmm. want Bobby, we want Bobby. We want Bobby.
1: <laughs> I Bobby. I Bobby. I'm so scared you should be. I know it happens, but it's still...
0: Now, the plan was to go to another room to thank his team and meet some press before heading out to the factory at 661 North Robertson Boulevard, which is a disco bar near the Troubadour. (laughs) (laughs) There There's one thing Robert F. Kennedy liked more than
1: politics. It was disco dancing. It was bell-bottom disco dancing.
0: (laughs) So they were going to go there for a private party, but at the last second, the route he was supposed to take to get to the other room was changed, and he was to go through the kitchen again to avoid some media people. Let's pause for a second to talk about RFK's stance on personal security. Oh, boy. He was not a fan. Ah. He often ignored the advice of the security he was given and would say if they're going to shoot, they'll shoot. And, and shoot they did. <laughs> the LAPD offered, oh this is interesting, the LAPD offered protection, but he explicitly refused them because he knew their reputation and he didn't want anything to do with them, especially since he was on the side of the people the LAPD were usually victimizing. Despite that, our old friends at the Rampart Police Station deployed four cars to be around the Hotel that day,
1: haunted.
0: <laughs> but at this time, just after midnight, they had all gotten other calls and were off framing people for crimes elsewhere in the city. Alibis. RFK's security advisor was William Barry, and he had a private security guard from Ace Guard Service and a guy <laughs> named Thane Eugene Caesar. And he had a small entourage of celebrities surrounding him. Milton Berle's member was
1: uh, almost human. Shield, kind <laughs> <Almost human shield. laughs> of an animal part
0: shield, <laughs> a human producing shield. So he had this, like, you know, he had this little entourage celebrities and whatnot, and he left the stage, but apparently he was walking very fast, faster than usual, and he was going far ahead of his entourage, and they were having trouble keeping up. They kept telling him, slow down, but he said, I will not slow down. (laughs) He just wouldn't stop, and and into the kitchen he went, as I wrote, which was filled with 77 people, many of them hotel staff, and he was stopping to shake hands with almost everybody as his entourage tried to catch up to him. He was shaking hands with a busboy when a man named Sirhan Sirhan, the man so evil they named him twice... (laughs) He walked up, pulled an Ivor Johnson Cadet 22 revolver from his waist and lunged at RFK. His first shot hit RFK in the head behind the right ear into the brain. The next two went into his right armpit and up through his neck and then a fourth went through his coat but didn't hit him. Unfortunately for Sirhan, part of RFK's entourage were Rafer Johnson, a former UCLA athlete and Roosevelt Greer, an ex-RAM player who grabbed Sirhan immediately and almost choked him to death until he had to be yelled at to stop. Why was someone stopping? him? <laughs> <laughs> Sirhan still had four bullets left and he kept firing until he oh, was yeah. out while other members of the crowd started grabbing Sirhan and they tried to restrain him, including George Plimpton. Whoa, really? Yeah, everyone was there. <laughs> everyone who was anybody was, was at there. the RFK. People who weren't born yet were there. <laughs> Kim Kardashian came out. Uh, she
1: piggybacked on Michael J. Fox's back. <laughs> they tied
0: Sirhan down with the belt and they pinned him onto one of the tables, but that was a lot of bullets to fly around in a small, crowded area. The first three hit RFK, but the fourth that went through his coat and didn't hit him hit a man named paul schrade in the head but he managed to survive also shot were william weisel elizabeth evans ira goldstein who was 19 and erwin Stoll, who was only 17 jesus meanwhile presidential hopeful rfk was down there's a famous picture of rfk on the ground Mm -hmm. still holding the hand of the bus boy he was thanking this Oh, it's so sad. This 17-year-old kid's name was Juan Romero. He went to Roosevelt High School and came from a family, as most Mexican families did, who loved RFK. Romero specifically was grateful to him for the way he had treated him during his stay at the hotel. When RFK went down, Romero put the rosary beads he had in his pocket into RFK's hand. As RFK said to him, is everybody okay? Romero responded, yes, everybody's okay. And RFK continued to say, everything's going to be okay. (sighs) Those and a few moans of, oh, Ethel, which is his wife. Those were his last words. Oh, that
1: hurts a lot.
0: Romero had to go to school the next day with RFK's blood still under his fingernails. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, that really affected me. Yeah, that's
1: (laughs) traumatic.
0: Yeah, from then on, like, even the day after, like, people would hound him about the incident and they wanted pictures of him, like, with him for years. He, like, moved away from LA. He, like, couldn't take it. Yeah. Even today, he feels guilty that maybe if RFK hadn't stopped to shake his hand, he would still be alive. (sighs) so that, that, this kid has to no, he's not a kid anymore yeah, he, f- me, yeah. he has to deal with this Jeez. forever at 1223 an ambulance arrived to take RFK to the central receiving hospital at 6th and Loma right next to the rampart station yeah. where he was somewhat stabilized and then at 1245 was transferred to the Good Samaritan Hospital at 1212 Chateau where he arrived at 1248 unconscious still at 310 he entered surgery until 620 where they were able to get most of the bullet out of his brain and he was able to breathe on his own he was still not conscious and was taken into intensive care. By his side were his wife, his sisters, his brother-in-law, Jackie Kennedy, and also James L. Poppin, who was the head of neurosurgery at the Leahy Clinic in Boston that they flew in on an Air Force plane. But at 1.44 a.m. on June 6, 1968, the second Kennedy in five years, RFK was pronounced dead. Oh he left behind 11 children and his pregnant wife. His body was taken back to New York for a ceremony at St. Patrick's Cathedral attended by his wife, Jackie Kennedy and Coretta Scott King, the three major widows, the, the super group of widows from the 1960s. <laughs> <Supremes>
1: of widows.
0: <laughs> and he was buried at Arlington Cemetery in Washington, D.C. Meanwhile, back at that night at the hotel, police showed up and arrested Sirhan, who had refused to give his name so he was taken in as John Doe. They traced his gun to a suburb in Alabama where it was then sold in Marin County then to an 18-year-old in impass- Pasadena, who said he sold it to a bushy haired guy named Joe, who worked in a department store? This Joe was identified as Munir Bishari Salome Sirhan, Sirhan Sirhan's brother, who in turn identified Sirhan Sirhan to the police. Jeez. So, with his identity out, Sirhan confessed to the murder but pleaded not guilty. He said initially, and his story is going to change a lot, uh-huh. he said that RFK was once his hero, but when RFK came out in support of Israel and had publicly promised to send 50 fighter jets to Israel if elected, Sirhan said. That he felt betrayed, Sirhan being Palestinian. After he was arrested, he said, I can explain it. I did it for my country. Okay, not good enough. <laughs> well, in that case, back to Pasadena with you. He said he did it to protect Palestinians, even though he was not actually affiliated with any Palestinian groups. Sirhan admitted to have having pre planned the murder and seemed to have considered other pro Israel targets as well, and had written in his diary, which we'll get more into later, that he wanted RFK dead by June 5th, which was the one year anniversary of the Six Day War in Israel. Real. For this reason, RFK's assassination is seen by a lot of people as the first time the violence of the Middle East bled into America. Right. The modern issues in Israel had only been going on for about a year at this point, and just a month after this were the first plane hijackings okay. by the Palestine Liberation Organization. That happened that? Yeah. Really? When Black September took the Saudi Arabian embassy hostage in 1973, one of their demands was even to release Sirhan. He went to trial where he said quite a lot of anti-Semitic things, <laughs> and his lawyers argued that Sirhan was mentally unstable and didn't know what he was doing but on April 17th 1969 he was convicted of premeditated murder and on April 23rd he got sentenced to death but in 1972 California got rid of the death penalty so it was changed to life in prison which is what Charles Manson is stuck under yeah that's what he's enjoying right now (laughs) (laughs) he'll come up later actually oh really now who was Sirhan Sirhan who was Sirhan Sirhan? Thank you. You're welcome. Sirhan Bishara Sirhan was born in 1944 in the Palestinian part of Jerusalem as part of a Christian family. In 1957, his family was sponsored by some churches in America to move to the United States, first stopping in New York before settling down in Pasadena at 696 East Howard Street. Sirhan went to John Muir High School and then to Pasadena Community College, where he was expelled in 1964 for bad grades and
1: attendance. Let America, me tell you what he did attend. <laughs> he was just
0: going into too many political rallies. (laughs) He went on to spend a lot of time in the Pasadena Library and got a job as a horse exerciser at Santa Anita Racetrack until 1966 when he fell off a horse. (laughs) An accident that his lawyers later tried to use as proof that he wasn't in his right mind when he killed RFK. The horse did it. The horse did it. He
1: was horse crazy. (laughs) Mad horse disease.
0: Assassins an assassin, of course, of course. (laughs) Now let's get into the weird stuff. Okay. After this, Sirhan, after his accident, uh, his horse accident, (laughs) Sirhan became very mystical and felt that he could control things with his mind. Okay. Logical. There we go. This might explain why witnesses said he had a very concentrated look on his face while he was shooting RFK. For a while, he was Baptist and then a Seventh-day Adventist, but in June 1966, he joined the Rosicrucians, who seemed to be very interested in the occult, which brings us to the conspiracy theories. Yes. Oh, where to begin with the conspiracy (laughs) theories? Like I said, Sirhan changed his story a lot over the years. At first, he said it was about Israel, Israel. then he said he was just really drunk, then he said he didn't remember anything about the shooting. In 1970 were the first suggestions that there had to have been a second shooter. Why was that? Well, you can't have a Kennedy assassination without a second shooter. <laughs> it's a
1: requirement, it's a prerequisite. Okay, and who's your uh, who's your second shooter? No, no, I used a magic bullet.
0: <sighs> there are several people that were there that night who claim to have seen people other than Sirhan with guns. Some even claim to have seen a man running out of the kitchen after the shooting with a partially concealed gun, but the figure most people who believe in this theory focus on is a blonde woman in her early 20s with a pug nose mm-hmm. in a polka dot dress that was not like the one you're wearing. Oh. Pug nose, Greg. <laughs> that used to be a woman. I gotta go. I gotta go to the Pasadena library. That's <laughs> the coconut Grove. So she was wearing a polka dot dress and she was seen running with a man from the kitchen yelling in joy, we shot him, we shot him. This woman was seen by multiple people, some of whom reported it to the police when they arrived at the scene, who put out the word to the rest of the police to look out for this woman. For two hours, until their officer reportedly told them, we've got our man, let's not make a federal case out of this. The cop who put out the notice for them said he had filed reports on her, but the reports disappeared. The woman in the polka dot dress was never found. Once word spread of this polka dot girl, though, people came out as having claimed to have seen her and Sirhan and the second man she was running away with before the incident. Supposedly, Sirhan and the polka dot girl had aggressively tried to get into Robbie's restaurant in Pomona, where RFK was eating on May 20th with with Sirhan having a heavy jacket over his arm. Ten days after that, a campaign worker for RFK recalled that a young woman and two men had approached them trying to get a copy of RFK's schedule. On June 1st, a guy was hiking with his son in the Santa Ana Mountains, where he said he saw a very hostile Sirhan with a girl and another guy shooting pistols. Sirhan was also reportedly seen on June 4th at a shooting range and at the Ambassador Hotel itself two days before the killing, trying to learn its layout. A guy named Jerry Owen later said he was supposed to meet Sirhan at the hotel the night of the a shooting to sell him a horse, which is weird, and the police dismissed the story, but it's interesting to remember that Sirhan did used to work with horses. Yeah. So it's a weird lie to make up. Yeah. So there's a lot of stories suggesting Sirhan was stalking RFK well before the shooting, and that he may or may not have had accomplices, but the biggest inconsistencies come from the crime scene itself. Okay. To start, Sirhan's gun could only hold eight bullets, all of which were accounted for since they were shot into people. <laughs> Just... A couple had missed and gone into the ceiling, but they were retrieved. However, there were two extra Extra bullets found lodged in the doorframe. Oh. The authorities decided that it wasn't bullets but just damage on the doorframe from a food cart hitting it and it was not used as evidence and promptly destroyed after the trial. <laughs> it was destroyed. Yeah. There were also at least four people there who claimed that they might have heard more than eight shots fired. The ballistics testing on the official bullets even showed them to not have all come from the same gun. Wow. But things here get confusing because there's reason to believe that the bullets had been swapped in the evidence room and they had to recreate some the bullets, and these recreated bullets were what they used as evidence in the trial, not the real bullets. Wow! So things got really kind of messy. Even the gun itself used as evidence in the trial was not the actual murder gun because the LAPD had messed up the gun while test firing it. So they made some sort of recreation and further testing of the gun could not be done. I don't know the full implications of that, but it sounds really shady. Yeah. There's also a recording that surfaced in 2004 by CNN that is the only known recording from that night that was reportedly made by a reporter 40 feet from the action that has the clear sound of 13 different shots being fired. The tape has been analyzed by experts and has been deemed authentic and that the extra five shots are not echoes or ricochets. Some of the shots were even fired too rapidly to have possibly come from the gun that Sirhan was using and they were also at different frequencies meaning they were different guns. Still not convinced? Let's look at the autopsy report.
1: Convince me. Get the corpse in here. (laughs) If
0: you look here. We need the bones saw. (laughs) The bullets that entered RFK came from behind him and up at a sharp angle and were shot from about an inch away. Sirhan was face to face with RFK and shot from about two to five feet away. So, why are they all zany? So, that points all of our conspiratorial eyes at the only person that could have been in that position his hired bodyguard, the three named Thane Eugene Caesar, oh, really? who was standing behind RFK at the time and was supposedly very right wing and anti Kennedy. Wow. Caesar claimed he never fired his gun, but they were never able to check to see if that was true because he sold it after the incident and then the gun got stolen from the person he he sold it to. But it was also a twenty-two revolver. We know that much. Mm-hmm. The second shooter theories were even given thorough investigation by Vincent Bugliosi. Oh, <laughs> of the Manton trials. Yep. Vincent so,
1: Bugliosi. Vince, I call him. Yeah, he's coming. <laughs>
0: but the theory that Sirhan's defense team is most attached to now was first put forward by none other than Truman Capote <laughs> that Sirhan had been here we go, hypnotized Manchurian candidate style to <laughs> kill RFK. Okay. Weirdly enough, RFK's last meal earlier that night had had been spent at the house of John Frankenheimer, the director of The Manchurian Candidate. Very odd. Like I said, Sirhan now says he doesn't remember the event, or even writing in his diary, RFK must die, over and over again, <laughs> which they say he wrote in a trance. Okay. Analysis done by his defense team have shown Sirhan to be very susceptible to hypnotism, so they believed he was... Hypno programmed to wow. kill RFK and then forget that he did it and who had programmed him. The blonde lady. The blonde lady and the horse. <laughs> the he was hypnotized knows. by the horse, by <laughs> the pug-nosed horse. A memory expert worked with Sirhan for three years and claims that he recalls that at the time of the shooting he believed he was in a gun range shooting at targets, and that he also remembers hearing other guns and flashes going off. Wow. They believe he was either hypno programmed by the Rosicrucians or by a political organization in particular, the CIA. Ah. Which leads to to the government did it theory <laughs> that the government killed RFK because he was against the Vietnam War and they wanted to keep it going. But to he, sell Jeeps. Yeah, yeah. So that they could sell Jimi Hendrix CDs 30 <laughs> years later. <laughs> People suspect the notorious and maybe fake CIA secret agent Kyber Khan of being involved. People also claim to have spotted other CIA operatives who were supposed to be in Asia at the time in the photos from that night at the hotel such as David Sanchez Morales who is credited with causing most of the political upheavals that happen in South <laughs> America, and also reportedly hated the Kennedys. He was once quoted saying to a group of friends, I was in Dallas when we got the son of a bitch, and I was in Los Angeles when we got the little bastard. Wow.
1: Yeah. They had a little nicknames for them. Yeah, they're cute. Adorable. Some people. Monster. Sus- some
0: people suspect the mafia did it because RFK was active in taking down organized crime. Yeah. Aside from those grand theories, there's also just some good old-fashioned shady doings surrounding all of this investigation. Uh-huh. A 15-year-old photographer there that night got his camera taken away from and his film was never returned. Sirhan's lead attorney, Grant Cooper, was under federal indictment for conduct in a separate case during the time of Sirhan's trial, and then after Sirhan got sentenced, all charges against Cooper were dropped. The LAPD set up a special unit senator committee to investigate, but a lot of things were ignored by them, and not every avenue was explored, and their tactics were questionable. (laughs) One of the polka dot girl witnesses had been pestered into redacting her story by telling her over and over, you did not see anybody in a polka dot dress until she was finally, like, okay, I didn't see it. And Um, then they used her redaction to discredit all the other witnesses. Wow. The prosecutors didn't even give Sirhan's defense team the autopsy report until four months into the trial, and the defense didn't even want to use most of the evidence because it would have shown admission of premeditation, and that accomplices were involved, Uh and that would have made the case worse for him. And then, of course, there's the reasonable side of all of these conspiracies. Maybe JFK did it. (laughs) JFK came back from the grave, he teamed up with Martin Luther King. And a Marilyn Monroe impersonator they used Joe DiMaggio's baseball bat and did it. (laughs) Maybe the polka dot dress girl wasn't yelling, we shot him. Maybe she was yelling, he shot him. Or maybe she was being dramatic and meant we as in the American people. There's evidence suggesting Sirhan was pretending to not remember writing in his journals because he knew how incriminating they were and he even reportedly told his lawyer to tell his mom to clean his room before the police came, probably hoping she'd see the notebooks and destroy them. Maybe only Sirhan's first shot was from a foot away and then RFK turned to pretend himself, leaving the right parts of his body exposed, and in the confusion, Sirhan was able to get in closer. Yeah. Maybe Thane Eugene Caesar did shoot RFK in the back of the head on accident, trying to hit Sirhan, right. but hey, conspiracies are fun. Yeah, they are fun. Sirhan spent some time at California State Prison in Kirkran and was actually locked up near... Charles Manson, oh, special, special cell block. Yeah. He was also accused of somehow being forewarned of the September 11th attacks. He is now in the Richard J. Donovan Correctional Facility near San Diego. He's 71 years old. Sirhan first went up for parole on May 30th, 1975. He's been denied 15 times now. Keep at it. Most recently, we like you. persistence is key. <laughs> Most recently on February 9th, 2016, that was his last denial. He's up again every five years. His defense team now being led by William F. Pepper, who also also won a case in 1999 asserting that the Memphis police were involved in Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. Yeah. They're pushing for a retrial given all the new evidence and the ignored evidence like that sound recording. And they claim that the evidence department was working with the prosecution. They maintain he was hypnoprogrammed and was the fall guy for a greater plot because he's Arabic and they knew they would he would easily be blamed. Okay. Sirhan insists he was in some sort of a trance and shouldn't be held responsible for it. Paul Schrade, the man who had also been shot in the head that night, was actually at his last hearing to forgive. Sirhan and he too believes there was more than one shooter and he pleaded for Sirhan's release.
1: Wow. Yeah. Well, two he pe- got
0: shot in the head, He yeah.
1: Neither did know. Yeah, come on. He's I wacky. guess two people are a hypno program now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the way the parole board sees it, Sirhan does not show remorse and fails to understand the seriousness of what he did. The real hero of the story, the Ambassador Hotel, <laughs> has already seen its death sentence carried out. Yep. After a couple more decades of decline, the Ambassador closed in 1989, at which point it was bought by none other than. Charles Manson. <laughs> I got ideas. <laughs> we all live in one room, man. <laughs> it was bought by one guess.
1: Eli Broad.
0: <laughs> Worse. <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump. Oh, he bought it. He let's it kill another Kennedy. There. <laughs> <laughs> Invite Ted. He's dead. Dead Ted. <laughs> Ted Ted. The loser. Ted Kennedy's. And the Ted Kennedy's. So he bought it for $64 million to be raised and turned into a 125-story office building. Unfortunately, he had bought it out from under the LAUSD who was interested in the land. LAUSD didn't like this and had the school board vote 7 nothing to seize the land from Trump under eminent domain. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. <laughs> of course. Trump, yoink. <laughs> the official ruling. Uh, <laughs> yoink. <laughs> of course, Trump didn't like this, so he launched a counterattack which led to years of litigation and protests in front of the abandoned hotel with people chanting, Dump Trump! Dump Trump! Dump Trump! That. We want Bobby! <laughs> during those years, a lot of movies were filmed at the hotel yep. during the Trump year, such as The Mask, who used the Coconut oh, Grove yeah. as the Coco Bongo nightclub. That's right. While the hotel was still in operation, they had also filmed The Graduate there. By 2001, Trump had lost the fight and the land belonged to the LAUSD, who planned to build three schools there to service the densely populated area. Korea a town-ish. Yeah. The issue then became on whether or not to preserve the hotel and its legacy or to completely demolish it to make room and turn our back on the city's history yet again, mm-hmm. the LA Conservancy and the Art Deco Society sued to prevent the hotel's demolition and suggested the school be housed inside the hotel. Ah,
1: that's not bad P.E. in the Coconut Grove? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Sirhan's defense team got involved to protect it as well because they wanted to do acoustic tests in the kitchen. Okay. The Kennedys wanted the place destroyed for obvious yes. reasons. The Mexicans... They're also trying to blow up Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> Wipe it off the map. <laughs> we don't need to be reminded
1: Only the book depository survived
0: <laughs> <laughs> The Mexican-American Legal Defense and Education uh-huh. Fund countersued because they didn't want any money that could be going towards a good school for children to be wasted on preserving this old building In 2006, they came to a sort of compromise where most of the hotel was raised but the coffee shop is now a teacher's lounge The Coconut Grove is now a theater and the Embassy Ballroom is now a library and the kitchen is where detention is nah. In 2010, the three schools serving K-12 opened to Serve some 4,200 students. It cost $578 million, making it the most expensive public school in U.S. history, just what RFK would have wanted. Yeah, I was about to say. The part of Wilshire in front of it was renamed Robert F. Kennedy Parkway. It's not exactly definitively clear why RFK was killed or who did it. And after it happened, they made it so that presidential candidates get Secret Service protection within 120 days of the election no. so that nothing like this ever happens yeah. again. But what this assassination did was it really killed the country's optimism. Yeah. By the late 60s, people were starting to see that there was something deeply wrong with the very character of the United States. As Life Magazine put it, the nation in less than six years has watched the violent deaths of two Kennedys and a king. So the feeling was like... What am I going to wake up to tomorrow? Yeah. What major figure is going to be killed today? What horrible violence am I going to see on the news tonight? And understandably, people started losing hope in peace because they saw that it wasn't working and maybe violence was okay now. Mm-hmm. That led to cynicism and American culture started to feel like it was falling apart. Vice President Hubert Humphrey ran in RFK's place and lost to the root of all cynicism, <laughs> Nixon. And we all know what the 70s was like. <laughs> RFK was the 60s last hope of change and there's no way we'll ever know what he could have done Done For our country Devastating Yeah imagine Oh boy We would have been on Mars by now
1: <laughs> Thanks Sirhan Sirhan <laughs> If you're listening mm-hmm. From jail I think I, I know re- you are I think I remember hearing That my grandma was working At the ambassador The day before That's right You told me Before this R- once. Kennedy was, was there And she's like Oh hmm. I'm gonna watch him on TV And she watched him get shot on what TV What color dress was she wearing? Polka dot white Why?
0: Uh I seem to remember your grandma having a traditional Gonzalez pug nose.
1: Yeah yeah, it's it's the tradition. Everybody <laughs> takes it.
0: So that's my death.
1: <laughs> Let's get into my death now. <laughs> this is somebody that I uh I knew loosely. I didn't investigate that much beforehand. I was kinda like curious, but uh you're doing research I'm, you know, it's amazing. Christopher Wallace, Notorious B.I.G., oh, Biggie no. Smalls. Oh, no, no. All no. three of these guys were killed on the same night. <laughs> A triple murder. <laughs> Notorious B.I.G. was born, like I said, Christopher Wallace in Brooklyn in May of mm. 1972 in the Bedford. Stuyvesant Bedford Stuyvesant neighborhood Bed-Stuy as we call it Okay well whatever That's where the block party in David Chappelle's block party is filmed <laughs> The titular block party yeah, was Thank filmed you there. the titular Wallace's childhood was Whatever the polite term For opposite of glamorous is <laughs>
0: He was <laughs> Ultra glamorous <laughs> Glam rock
1: Keep going up a Regal <laughs>
0: R.F. Kennedy-esque
1: <laughs> He was surrounded by Drug dealers Drug addicts And drugs By 15 he was dealing Crack in the neighborhood And by 17 he was arrested For selling it He spent nine months In a prison in North Carolina Before making bail Upon his release He started to gravitate towards music and gave dealing drugs up for rapping which is the dream of inner city youth (laughs) he began making homemade demo tapes Hmm. one of these demos landed in the hands of a well-known dj going by the name mr c who went and featured biggie in the magazine richie cunningham's dad yeah richie they were in the the music industry that's that's why they all the jukeboxes the
0: cunninghams discovered notorious big yeah
1: and then he went on to be the big bopper big bopper
0: The notorious Big (laughs) Bopper.
1: Hello, baby. (laughs) Hello, Big (laughs) Bopper. Anyways, Mr. C put him in the source, and he started to get noticed after that. The write-up and one of those demo tapes made its way to the A&R chief at Uptown Records named Sean Combs. Uh Uh-oh. Or as we know him now, Puffy. Daddy? Puffy? Did he? Combs was leaving Uptown Records to start his own label, the annoyingly titled Bad Boy Entertainment, mm. and he brought the what young... you gonna do when they entertain you. <laughs> Change the radio is what I'm gonna do. Brought the talented young Wallace, who was going by the name Notorious B.I.G. along with him. He was going by Biggie Smalls before that, but it turned out there was another rapper who had previously trademarked the same name, so he started going by Notorious B.I.G. But I'm gonna use That's the th- I know, but I'm gonna use the three names interchangeably <laughs> just to not get it stale.
0: You're talking about that obscure guy now, right? Yeah, <laughs> he
1: was the one murdered. Yeah, the, the guy who no one ever heard about again? <laughs> Both names fit as he was a large gentleman. B.I.G. Biggie. At the time of his death, the autopsy report measured him at 6'1", weighing 395 pounds. My God. Every article I read made a point to specify his weight, which is pretty awful. <laughs> I always feel a little guilty, like, oh, stop. You don't need you to... You
0: remember he was 395 pounds, <laughs> and then he was shot 309- in all 395 pounds.
1: Notorious <laughs> <laughs> B.I.G. was pretty much responsible for making Bad Boy Entertainment one of the most successful rap and R. B. labels of the 90s. He released Ready to Die mm, in 94, <laughs> and it went up to Uh, the number three in the r&b album chart (laughs) spawned several hits juicy which ended up on number 27 on the pop charts 14 on r&b charts in 1994 big papa which we all remember went to number six on the pop charts four on the r&b charts in 1995 and warm more chance slash stay with me went to number two on the pop charts and number one on the r&b charts in 1995 in doing my readings i found that several people still refer to him as one of the greatest rappers if not the greatest rappers of our time Hmm. have they heard macklemore Have they heard Justin Bieber yet? The new and improved. (laughs) New and improved. While Wallace and Combs were putting all this together and building a career together, B.I.G. became friends with a well-known fiery young rapper named Tupac Shakur, who at the time was living in New York. Shakur really liked Biggie at the time and really supported him. He let him open up for his shows. They would sometimes rap together. Whenever he did interviews, he would mention Biggie's name. Mm. He was really trying to get his... Friend to to get noticed. Now, Tupac was signed to Death Row Records, which was run by Marion Hugh Suge Knight, which is super scary. Also,
0: yeah. a character from past episode.
1: Yeah, yeah, he was also in the Rampart. The bad cop, bad cop, is heavily tied with my research. Death Row was another record company. It was booming in the 90s. It was a top rap label in the music industry. At its peak, it was making 100 million dollars a year. And along with Tupac, it had Snoop Dogg. Never like the face of West Coast rap, pretty much. The jester of the three. <laughs> he wasn't at the time. But things start to go sour in 1994. Shortly after B.I.G. released Ready to Die, things began to get sour between the two parties. Suge and Shakur on one end, and Biggie and Puff Daddy on the other end. Puff Daddy? Puff Daddy? The East Coast-West Coast rivalry had been going on for years already, but now, like, it was becoming famous because the two faces of the opposite ends are now, like, the biggest rappers of the time. (laughs) So it goes like this. Tupac was hanging around with mutual friends of his and Biggie's who were gangsters. No. Come on. The gangsters were drug dealers trying to get big Sorry. It's hard to tell if I'm talking about big or B.I.G. They were trying to make it (laughs) (laughs) B.I.G. The gangsters were juggling. They trying to make it big in the music industry and they wanted to sign Tupac. According to him, they already had Puff Daddy in their pocket who Tupac saw as a sniveling, unloyal weasel and he (sighs) wanted nothing to do with him. So it's November of 1994 and Tupac had been repeatedly and annoyingly asked by another mutual friend, Annie Walker or Stretch as they called him, to record a song with one of Biggie's friends at the Quad Recording Studio in Manhattan. Now he's reluctant but he eventually agrees because every time he asks they promise him more and more money. So him and Stretch are in the elevator to go up and according to Tupac, Stretch drops himself to the ground and two masked gunmen step into the elevator and shoot Tupac five times at blink at boink. At boink, boink <laughs> range. And shoot him at point-blank range. Two of those bullets strike Tupac in the head. Oh, you, <laughs> I'm thinking, that's a that's a big boink. <laughs> he really got boinked in that elevator. He gets shot twice in the head in his elevator, and he survives. He's like Paul Schrade. He's the Paul Schrade of his generation. <laughs> so he managed to go up a few floors to the recording stool, crawls over to the room to find Biggie and Puff Daddy and there. And cuts the sickest track. Yeah. <laughs> he crawls into the room, and according to Tupac, Biggie, and Puff Daddy are his words, amazed that he survived. Which is a phrase is like oh, what were you thinking? Tupac's words show his suspicions that he believes that he was lured there, but almost everyone there agreed on one thing. He was shot in the head. His understanding of the situation may be a little bit off. <laughs> Even Stretch claims he never dropped himself to the ground and that Tupac was remembering it wrong. Again, you've been shot in the head. <laughs> but that only makes paranoid people more paranoid and he blamed Puff Daddy and Biggie for the attack. And it doesn't help that right after that, Biggie released a song called who Shot you on on this Ready to Die album the song doesn't necessarily call Tupac out or make any direct connections but that doesn't mean that Tupac won't take it personally both Biggie and Puff Daddy try to explain that the song depicts something that happened before Tupac's attack but that just won't convince him but maybe Tupac's right about all this so Tupac puts out a song called Hit him Up which does not tiptoe around the calling people out thing and boy does he call people out he says Puff Daddy he says Biggie he says all these other people he also in the song claims to be sleeping with Wallace's wife Faith Evans which makes it super personal Mm -hmm. Now, this isn't the podcast where we recite rap lyrics all Hmm. willy-nilly. Isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> Can it be now? We'll post songs up if you want to listen to them. So the two become bitter rivals after that and began feuding at events. The rivalry grew not only the two central figures who were Tupac and Biggie, but also their record labels. Now Death Row Records and Bad Boy Entertainment were going at it too. It led to uh, assaults, drive-by shootings. When stuff started heating up, a bodyguard once pulled a weapon during a scuffle with one of Shakur's entourage at the Shrine Auditorium. Mm. It should also be noted that both labels were using gang members for security. The Bloods were protecting Death Row Records, which makes sense to as Shook Knight himself is a blood, and Southside Crips were protecting Biggie when he came to the West Coast. So at this time... They didn't do a good job. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, Biggie records a song called Long Kiss Goodnight, which in his style is veiled call-outs. Classy move. <laughs> after it was recorded, but before it was released, Tupac is gunned down in Las Vegas after attending the Tyson fight. Is
0: that where it happened?
1: Yeah, in Las Vegas. In the car right next to him is Suge Knight. Uh, I think he, I don't know if he got shot or not. Now here's where some of the speculations start, which will turn into a big tangled mess later on. Southside Crips were watching over Biggie when he was here in LA. Suge Knight, who was in the car with Tupac when he was shot claims to have spotted one of the guys in the car who was a member of the Southside Crips named Dwayne Keith Davis. He went by KVD, D, a caller of shots, if you will. Keefy D's nephew, Orlando Anderson, another Southside Crip, was for a long time the number one suspect in Tupac's murder. The day after Tupac's murder, a huge brawl broke out in conflict between Suge Knight's entourage and KVD's D's gang entourage. Now, Suge Knight ended up going to a jail on a probation violation stemming from the beating of Orlando Anderson at the MGM Grand Hotel that was caught on tape just before the car attack. So basically, before they get shot up, Suge Knight is already beating up Orlando Anderson, which could like, it could Instigated? That's That's kind of what foggies it up from it being a hit, or if it's just like direct retaliation or not. In 1998, Orlando Anderson was shot and killed at a car wash on Oleander and Alondra Boulevard near Compton High School. But back to Biggie. That's everything with Suge and Southside Crips and Tupac. So it's six months later. Wallace is walking with a cane after a car accident. and him and another rapper named Little Cease were in together. He was permanently injured from that. Yeah, you might remember his cane from music videos. He's like standing with a lean and big coat.
0: Are you thinking of Ebenezer Scrooge?
1: I might be thinking of Old Man Scrooge. <laughs> Scroogey Smalls? <laughs> Scroogey Rouge? Stop right now. This is out of hand. <laughs> His new album was almost finished and it would be called Life After Death. Mm. Yikes. Mm. Remember the last album title, Ready to Die? Double Yikes. Okay. He was quoted as saying in an interview there's nothing that protects you from the inevitable. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen no matter what you do. sounds a lot like RFK. It does sound like RFK. So in March of 1997, he was in LA to put the finishing touches on his album. He was also in town to attend the Soul Train Music Awards and other parties. On the 9th of March, Quincy Jones, the producer, not the famous comedian, was having a music industry party at the Peterson Automotive Museum on Museum Row across Mm -hmm. from LACMA at Fairfax and Wilshire. Mm -hmm. It's the building that looks like uh, Bad Vibrations. Both of these attacks happened on Wilshire is something I thought. Yeah. The cursed street, cursed Cursed Wilshire. Around twelve thirty a.m., Biggie leaves the party. Triumph of the Wilshire.
0: (laughs) Episode title in the future.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So it's twelve thirty a.m. Biggie leaves the party with his entourage of six, and they get into a GMC Suburban. They sat at the red light on Fairfax and Wilshire,
0: facing what direction?
1: I think they were going up Fairfax. I think. Okay. Yeah, I believe.
0: You mean north? North towards the Grove. They were going to the American Girl store.
1: Yeah, they were going to They were going go to the Chipotle there. <laughs> they were going to go to Farmer's Market and buy asparagus. They wanted to see what the fuss was about with the hot sauce shop. He wanted to try wet butt. He wanted to get cupcakes for his dog. They did not <laughs> well, I still have a few more. <laughs> he wanted to get a $5 ice cream
0: cone. He wanted to get an $8 donut. He wanted to try a mango... <laughs>
1: Well, I could keep going. He wanted to ride the trolley at the I'm going to keep going. Biggie he wasn't. wanted to get an autograph from mm. Dwight Schrute. <laughs> he wanted to ride the trolley that goes around the Grove. Didn't I just say that? Did you? I, paying, I,
0: was, <laughs> I think I just said I was, that. I was, I was I, I, apparently red I wasn't with anger. Paying the temperature. I don't yeah, remember either. Yeah,
1: I was red with anger. He wanted to ride the trolley around the <laughs> grove. Biggie wanted to ride the trolley. Oh, I wrote that down. <laughs> That's all I have. <laughs> so they're sitting at the red light, Fairfax and Wiltshire. I don't know what direction they're going in. Biggie's in the passenger seat. It's
0: got to be north. It has to be north. I mean, because if they're going south, they would be on the other side of the street. They would be at Johnny's fake coffee shop. That doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they would have to north. be going up north to be yeah. sitting there because they left the Peterson Museum. Mm-hmm. They could be going down Wilshire.
0: It sounds like you said that in a trance. Maybe you've been hypno-programmed to teach all this to me.
1: Going down Wilshire. Going down Wilshire. Going down Wilshire. Going down Wilshire. Ma, get rid of my journals. <laughs> burn my room. <laughs> Take the dog out. Burn the room. Leave the cannolis. Stop letting me read. Catching the rye. Passenger seat. Fairfax and Wilshire. Red light. Twelve thirty a.m. March 9th. Los Angeles At the same time A dark impala Pulled up to the passenger side Of the suburban That was sitting at the red light The feline predator (laughs) Like the feline Yeah exactly Enter the impala The name of the episode (laughs) The killer pulled up Next to him And fired seven times Biggie was hit by four bullets But only the last bullet fired Was the one that Ensured a fatality And entered his right hip Passed through his heart Liver and colon And made its way To his left shoulder So it shot up
0: how did that happen?
1: A lower car, higher. Okay. Paula's lower. Jim C's higher. So it went through the, the door. Get this. Okay. Pay attention now. All right. The bullets. from- I've a... been reading too many Kennedy autopsy <laughs> <the> reports. <laughs> How fast did the bullets go? <laughs> the bullets were from a nine millimeter handgun. They were actually pretty rare bullets. Nine millimeter Gecko bullets, metal piercing German ammunition. Oh. Note that they knew what they were doing. Note that he was taken to Cedar Sinai Medical Center and declared dead at one fifteen a.m. Oh my
0: god. Well, um, th- what, wait, wait a minute. What time did? What time was RFK pronounced?
1: I dead? think one twenty three.
0: Keep going. I'm going to shuffle some papers.
1: His body was identified by his ex-wife, Faith Evans, and his mother, Foletta. 1.44 a.m. Wow. In his pocket at the time of death. One bag of weed. (laughs) <laughs> One asthma inhaler And three magnum condoms Oh He had a good night planned And it was ruined By him getting killed
0: There were witnesses To his assault because He was gonna inflate The condoms with the inhaler
1: and <laughs> smoke weed out of him. Which was hip at the time <laughs> On the trolley At the grove <laughs> Wondering how to Open a mango There were witnesses To his assault Because the party At the museum Had a line of people outside And as well People were leaving the party I've read dozens I've read hundreds But either way Police had a hard time At first finding Any witnesses Willing to speak up There were a lot of claims that witnesses were too scared to testify but eventually witnesses started to come forward now according to the witnesses Biggie's killer was an African American male wearing a blue suit and a bow tie Wee Herman black Wee Herman, <laughs> black <Pee-wee> Herman. <laughs> so right away strangely <laughs> he kept asking about his missing bike <laughs> if you love murder so much why don't you marry it <laughs> so right away cops started suspecting gang affiliation because of the Tupac murder they started linking the two Ooh, up guy in a blue suit and a white bow tie gotta gangs. be a gang member cause he's black <laughs> <laughs> so they were baffled by this. Really it could be gang related, it could have ties to something bigger. There there was rumors that Piggy had affiliation with the Genovese family and the, the mafia in the yeah. New York. It just could be a random killing, who knows. Mm. But the but the a bow mm. bow tie through it's like that. Not a bow like that. Bow tie threw everybody off though. Rosmoen, a spokesperson for LAPD, was saying, "We're drawing no conclusions about the bow tie, which is a funny <laughs> sentence. Which is a funny sentence out of context. But this was in response to someone bringing up the fact that the shooter may have been affiliated with a nation of Islam, many of whom uh, wear a signature bow tie. That's
0: true. Others
1: suggested the suit and bow tie would indicate that the killer had attended a party, for example, the Vibe party that was going on that same night. Mm-hmm. Or he was a magician. He could have been a magician, and the bow tie was spinny. <laughs> yeah. Did they ask him it, water? Was be... it a, was it squirting water or possibly spinny? <laughs> was it squirting metal piercing?" Bullets. <laughs> so let's get into the long list of suspects and conspiracy theories. Some people believe that the Southside Crips were to blame for the killing. But Greg, weren't they set up to protect
0: Biggie in LA? But Greg, weren't they set up to protect Biggie in LA?
1: Weren't they the ones who supposedly killed Tupac?
0: I'm not repeating that.
1: Why would they kill Biggie? Well, according to a member of the Crips, Wallace had promised to pay them a million dollars to kill Tupac, but Wallace and his people only paid 50000 and never paid the rest of their fee, mm. which would give them more than enough reason to kill Biggie. Mm-hmm. 950000 reasons to kill him. <laughs> One of the reasons for the suspicions was a few months after Biggie was killed, LAPD seized a black Chevy Impala from the backyard of Keefe D, the mm-hmm. man who supposedly was linked to Tupac's murder. They were so su- it's a gangster car because it's a black Chevy Impala. <laughs> LAPD, give it up! <laughs> Did the Impala have a bow tie? (laughs) on two. Bowtie belt running the engine. (laughs) There are several members of the Bloods who many believe killed Biggie. One of the most suspected is a man named Wardell Faust, aka Darnell Bolton, aka Poochie. A member uh, of why the Pucci. Why Poochie Why A member of the Mob Hero blood, Bloods The Bloods Bloods <laughs> The Dracula Bloods <laughs> L.A. Bloods confused the hell out of Nosferatu when it showed up But I thought No, oh, never mind why did, how, how did they never do
0: Blackula and Compton And he's like, where are the Bloods? That would be really funny That would be funny you, you, uh, you, I wouldn't let you write it though <laughs> <laughs> Oh, come on <laughs> oh
1: Why? I understand
0: You don't Hey, no one steal that idea, okay? Because we will kill you We will hire (laughs) all the Bloods and the Crips to find you and kill you. We will
1: Nosferatu kill you. (laughs) And him. And also Nosferatu. We're going to dig up Bela Lugosi and make him kill you. Reggie Wright Jr., who was the head of Death Row Security, said that Shug Knight and Poochie had a very secretive, exclusive relationship. A former investigator of the LAPD named Greg Kading was in charge of the special task force investigating Wallace's murder. He was on assignment for three years, from 2006 to 2009, after which point he left the force because he felt scrutinized for looking into it. A task force was assembled at the point when Biggie's mom, Voletta, and some other family members filed a suit against the city of LA and LAPD, but we'll get into that later. Back to Poochie. So it's 2009, and because of the lawsuit, the LAPD is looking into the case. Kading started to look for weak links in Suge Knight's circle of people and came up with an old girlfriend of his Teresa Swan she claims that in February of 1997 Sounds a month familiar. I think you might have brought her up before Yeah. she claims that in February of 97 a month before Wallace listen was... to
0: bad cop bad cop Thor. please
1: God listen to bad cop back <laughs> and get back to us a month before B.I.G. was killed Suge Knight approached Poochie to kill Boogie <laughs> weird sentence Wardow Pucci, Pucci, Faust... Pucci, <laughs> Pucci's Poochie Fouse Poochie kill Boogie if Poochie's alive he's gonna hurt me he claimed that Wardow Poochie Faust you. to kill Biggie after Suge suspected that Biggie has solicited Keefy D to do them in and for this fee for taking out biggie thirteen thousand dollars what teresa says that the arrangements were made and she carried nine thousand on her with a promise to pay another four after the job was complete she handed the money off to Pucci at the peterson automotive museum hmm. which she attended i don't think i'm pretty sure he was not there he might have just been close swan also that Pucci drove an aqua green chevy impala mm, same
0: that's not black though dark dark
1: night my favorite movie dark night <laughs> same car make and model but less dark as obviously stated but it you know was midnight that's true the must. yeah everything's black at midnight <laughs> know. <laughs> Welcome to Black and Little well, Compton. King said that while he was wrapping up his investigation, he was dismissed from the case. Although, yes, he did get confessions. Internal Affairs was looking into Kading as he allegedly was making false statements on an affidavit for a separate case. They eventually found nothing on that. But around the same time, the Walls family had to drop their lawsuit against the City of LAPD. But again, we'll get into that later. This was all Kading stuff. Pucci was killed in the Compton drive by in 2003. And he Kading. Was euthanized. And Kading quit the force and wrote a book about his findings he was called. Put down. That's what I meant. It was put down. Kading quit the force and wrote a book about about the findings called Murder Rap, the untold story of Biggie Smalls and the Tupac Shakur murder investigations as we're going to learn a lot of books being written. Mm. 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 The biggest allegation, and honestly the one that makes the most sense to me, is that LAPD's Rampart division, the ones who may have been involved with Kennedy assassination, along with Suge Knight, conspired together to kill Biggie Smalls, possibly with another man named Amir Muhammad, born Harry Billups, a real estate broker.
0: (laughs) Hmm? (laughs) Never suspect the real estate broker. But we talked about that in the Bad Cop background. Yeah, yeah, you brought up... In particular, not just any cops, but what was his name again? Rafael
1: Perez and David Mack. Yeah. Please go back and listen to that. If you want to hear the Rampart story... (laughs) This is this specifically though
0: This is a nice little teaser It's a poo poo platter for you Poo poo platter
1: Like I said One of those people Involved in the Rampart thing Heavily involved in this David Mack Now at the time of the murder One of the junior investigators In the robbery homicide division Was assigned to the case His name was Russell Poole Now Cadings and Poole Were both ex-LAPD That name's
0: really familiar too Doesn't
1: it? Yeah Isn't it familiar? I don't
0: know He was I think he's also involved in Did we mention Listen to the Rampart That's not that I (laughs) think think that
1: he's like A whistleblower He's a whistleblower though Yeah Yeah I think he might be like, not bad Rampart. Mm. Ethan Hawke. I don't know. If you get that reference, I wish I didn't. Now, Cadings and Poole were both ex LAPD who wrote books about the murders of Tupac and Biggie, but their big point of difference is that Poole believes that LAPD worked with Suge Knight to kill Wallace. Kading feels that LAPD is not involved, that Suge Knight pulled this off with Poochie. <laughs> That's just to clarify. And also, Poole's book is called Labyrinth. LA is uh, capitalized. I just want to clarify. All right, I just want to listen to this. I want to send everybody out there. Babes in the Wilderness. What's the Babes in the Wilderness? Babes in the Wilderness. Babes yeah. in Pigland. Let's get back to Rampart. So, it's 1997. Perez was convicted of robbing the Bank of America for. $722,000 while still being employed by the Los Angeles Police Department to protect and serve. This is when Poole's suspicions about Mac's involvement grew because it seemed well known to most that Mac protected death row records and claimed association with the mob Piro Bloods. Him and Knight both grew up in Compton and his ties to the Bloods is deep. After he was arrested, he denounced his quotations career as a cop and claimed to be full gang member, boasting yeah. about gunning people down. He arranged to hit on his former lover who helped with a bank robbery who might have been Teresa Swan. When they arrested Mac for the robbery, here we go, this is what they find. Black 7th generation Chevy Impala SS parked in his garage. Hmm,
0: also in his, green.
1: Also in his garage, a shrine dedicated to Tupac Shakur poster, memorabilia, the like. Also found on Mac's property, the very rare 9mm gecko bullets used to kill Notorious B.I.G. Some believe that it was Mac himself who pulled up to the Chevy Impala on March 9th and shot Biggie. Damian Butler, who was in Biggie's car, pointed Mac out of a phono lineup in April of 1998. (laughs) Mac's work schedule was also under scrutiny during the period of his life where he was robbing banks and possibly shooting famous rampers. In both instances, Mac had taken the days before and after off. But there's another name that has been presented. Amir Muhammad. like I said, Harry Billups, but a very odd suspect. Now, David Mack and Billups met at the University of Oregon and became good friends. Billups is the godfather to Mac's son. Hmm. Suspicions grew when, in December of 1987, Muhammad came to visit Mack in prison. The LAPD was watching very closely all connections to Mac and seeing what other corruption cases they might have led to. And I believe they started to look into Muhammad as a suspect after the bow tie was presented as a link to Islam. Does this look familiar? <laughs> <laughs> oh, was my, that neck? A knot? <laughs> my neck? <laughs> my neck exposed. <laughs> this, along with a jail if the bow tie, don't fit. <laughs> You must uh, bow tie. Uh, Blame Pee Wee. (laughs) Blame Black Pee Wee. I was going to... Some kind of Drake joke. I don't know. He is Black Pee Wee. <laughs> okay, so the bow type makes them think, oh, what's this guy's deal? Along with this claim, though, was a jailhouse informant speaking up, saying that Wallace's killer went by a name that sounded, quote, Middle Eastern, like Amir <laughs> or Ashmir. And or his Poochie. real <laughs> His real name might be Abraham or Kenny or Kiki. Also, look at Kifi falls into yeah. that rough sound estimation. This Middle Eastern-sounding name claim, wow, well, I didn't plan on that rhyming, Uh, came in after Biggie was killed but before David Mack was arrested. The informant also said that the killer was a former Southside Crip member and could have belonged to a security force connected to the Nation of Islam called the Fruits of Islam, whose members sported distinctive blue or white uniforms, camps, and bow ties. The
0: bow ties. And
1: Muhammad did belong to the Nation of Islam, but he was brokering loans in Southern California since 1984, so there was no gang affiliations to him. That can be our catchphrase. Brokering what? loans in Southern California <laughs> since 1964. 1984! 1984.
0: 1984. My favorite year for <laughs> dictators.
1: Is that a reference to me? You
0: were born out of distress and... <laughs> Repression.
1: You're born in Fahrenheit 451. (laughs) So the police suspected Muhammad anyways, especially since about a month after his visit, they obtained a driver's license photo and it resembled one of the two composite sketches of the killer. Detectives began looking into Muhammad, but the many addresses that he listed in his background check were either false or led to post offices. The LA Times were also unsuccessful in tracking him through public records and former friends. The overall theory was that Mack and Knight hired Amir Muhammad to take Biggie out for them, but other than the Nation of Islam thing and knowing David Mack, there really wasn't anything to go on. <laughs> they were just sort of stumped on whether he was a real suspect or not. So the day after the LA Times published an article, the LAPD spokesman said it was accurate. But a week later, detectives told a lawyer representing Muhammad that his client was not a suspect. So they were like, they didn't know where to stand on this guy. The lawyer said detectives initially indicated they wanted to interview Muhammad, but never followed through on that. So by 2000, the year 2000, mm. in the year 2000, mm. yeah, yeah. NBC is already knocking on the door. <laughs> Muhammad was cleared by the LAPD for the killing. He was quoted in an interview as saying, I'm not a murderer, I'm a mortgage broker. And they replied with, what's the difference? <laughs> and the jury stood up and clapped. <laughs> in 2005, Muhammad was arrested by investigators on unrelated perjury charges connected to the possession of four false identifications. Hmm. Odd, because in 2011, a man named Clayton Hill, who used to be a member of Islam, came forward to hiphopdx.com and claimed to be an accessory to the murder of Biggie and the killer went by the name Dawud Muhammad. Hill says that he was acting under orders from the powers that be at the Muhammad Mosque 15 in Atlanta. He was told to go to the Greyhound station and collect something from him and that he would just hand it over. Hill met a man at the Greyhound station from Los Angeles who called himself Dawud Muhammad, handed over a 9mm or a 40 caliber he doesn't remember, and said it was used to kill Biggie. It was wrapped in a white undershirt. When shown a picture of Amir Muhammad to see if it was that person that they're going for, he responded, I have looked at the pics and although I cannot conclusively with any absolute certainty because that was 14 years ago, Amir Muhammad looks like the person who used the name."
0: So it sounds like he does have some certainty or, and he can say.
1: But because he couldn't positively ID the killer, nothing really came for that. Here's two things that make me not want to listen to Clayton Hill. First, in 2011, by the time that he did this interview, he was serving time for a conspiracy to defraud the United States and identity theft. Second, all these juicy details were made to be published in a book he was writing, Diary of an Ex-Terrorist. Everyone on their book deals. Sirhan Sirhan has a book coming out, by the way, I forgot to mention. It's called Sirhan Sirhan. Sirhan. By my own Sirhan. <laughs> so, What's the deal with this informant and the Wallace family suing the city of LA and the LAPD? Well... A jailhouse informant named Waymond Anderson. Waymond like Raymond, but with a W. Like a baby saying it. <laughs> His parents were babies. <laughs> babies having babies, and they named him Waymond. Everybody loves Waymond. Waymond Anderson was claiming that he had inside knowledge about the killer of Biggie, and he was the one who linked David Mack, Suge Knight, and the Middle Eastern man all together. The person he heard it from was Salmate Rafael Perez. Mm-mm. Newly incarcerated at the time, who also threatened Anderson, saying that he'd kill him if he found out he was speaking to any detectives about the killing. I'm gonna here?
0: kill Moon. <laughs> I, I want to do you in, but well, I'm Wayman.
1: You're, <laughs> you're Wayman. Everybody loves Wayman. Don't kill me. Turn off the light. Don't turn off the light. <laughs> <laughs> when the Wallace family heard this, they filed a civil suit against the city of LA and the LAPD for covering up the murder of Biggie. In July of 2005, U.S. District Judge Florence Marie Cooper declared a mistrial, ruling that a detective had hidden transcripts of an interview with a police informant alleging LAPD involvement in the murder. Hmm. The detective, Stephen Katz, said he had overlooked the transcript in a desk drawer.
0: Quality stuff Well I mean who checks Their deaths <laughs> <cars? laughs>
1: The transcripts Quote a jailhouse informant As saying that Rafael Perez Was involved in the killings As well But Before the trial began In 2005 Mack and Mohammed Were dropped as defendants From the jailhouse informant Admitting that he made it up hmm. Anderson, a former R&B singer, was serving life in prison for a 1993 arson murder. He recanted his statement saying that it was part of a scam that two other convicts came up with to squeeze a huge settlement out of the city. He went on to accuse the Wallace family and their lawyers of participating in this scheme and offering him money for a false testimony if they pointed a finger at the LAPD. He said, it was a lie. I'm ashamed of it. I did what I had to do to survive. And then he recanted his recanted statement. (laughs) He testified that he lied about the deposition because he had received death threats from a rap producer that were passed on to him by former LA Times reporter Chuck Phillips, who denied it. allegations, of course, because they sound crazy. I don't crazy. know what to believe in I, don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what his book is going to be called, I'm, I'm but I'm going to read it. I'm trying to remember who Poochie is. <laughs> the FBI around this time also closed their investigation into Biggie's death, as there was no basis for prosecution after looking into the Knight-Muhammad-Mac thing for over a year. Nothing will go on. Around this time, April of 2007, is when Chief Bratton of the LAPD launched a force to find the culprit, which is when Greg Kading's comes in and does his investigations into Poochie. The people versus Poochie. People versus Pucci. And around this time is when she files a second wrongful death lawsuit against the state of LA. The suit named LAPD officers in the center of the investigation Rafael Perez and Nino Durden, who we also mentioned in the backup yeah. backup. So. Something that Perez was more involved in the killing than many think, as he was on duty the night of the assassination, and being Officer Perez, that's what you do for fun, <laughs> is kill people. But that case was- up
0: the old German armor-piercing <laughs> bullets and head down to the car museum,
1: <laughs> but that case was dismissed in December of that year. In May of 2008, Judge Cooper once again reinstated the lawsuit, but both sides agreed to dismiss the case in April of 2010. Captain Jim Jones, <laughs> Captain Jim Jones said, "Drink the Kool-Aid," and everyone's like, "What's it taste like?" He's like, "Love." <laughs> Captain Jim petro who leads LAPD's robbery homicide division, called the allegations ridiculous and said, "If they were LAPD cops, so be it. Like we haven't taken hits before." <laughs> Okay, th- 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 no point of bragging, all right? <laughs> yeah, we've taken hits before. <laughs> we, we already took out the Kennedys. <laughs> Come on. So what does all this mean? All roads lead, in my opinion, to Suge Knight. David McErnott, Suge, yeah. Suge Knight. Suge Knight, Suge Knight, Suge yeah. Knight. The Freedom of Information Act has allowed for the release of a 359-page FBI file to be it's released. Gonna get diabetes from all this Suge in this story. <laughs> 359-page FBI file has been released, which is the internet had poured over and allowed me to do most of the research. This is one of those cases where we want to say it's unsolved, but all the signs point to a certain direction. But instead of a clear shot, we have this tangled mess of guilty parties. It all comes down to who fired the gun on Fairfax and Wilshire on March 9th. We may never know who drove that dark Impala that night. No one's gonna come forward and say, "Yeah, it was me." But there's so many people who are like clearly involved yeah, in this. But then
0: at the at the same time, like, what does it matter? You know, yeah. like what's done is done, and things are ruined. It ma- it matters to some people. Like but I to imagine the, to the family, to the families, yeah. But it seems like all assassinations, like who knows? Like, yeah, we it, will it, never know. There's always conspiracy and subterfuge and yeah. conspiracy. Especially
1: because not that there isn't mystery tangled up in this one, but everybody who's involved is either dead or in jail already. <laughs> yeah. Like. They're already serving time for something else like they might not be suffering for their crimes but they're taking a hit mm-hmm. yeah so uh, oh. it's it this one's it, particularly frustrating
0: is there any mention of a pug nose blonde girl in a polka dot dress only that she owned a impala factory why <laughs> that only produced black impalas <laughs> and she also for a hobby would knit bow ties <laughs> well, what's the big deal I wasn't expecting there to be no definitive answer to either of these stories <laughs> we just gave you two acts yeah. of a three act
1: play <laughs> it's up to you to go solve it. <laughs> Choose your own adventure because we don't have any answers. <laughs> Scary stuff all happening on Wilshire. Weird. Weird. Very weird. Weird and wild. <laughs> you stop that.
0: <laughs> all happening on Wilshire and all kind of revolving in part around Rampart. Mm-hmm. It's, very, it's very strange. So if you or someone you know has killed RFK or <laughs> Notorious B.I.G., please write in. We, we yeah, are we're we very curious. Yeah, we
1: want to see what you would say where you get your bow ties. Yeah. How hard is it to get rare 9mm gecko metal piercing bullets? <laughs> let's kill somebody tonight. Let's do it. Let's just, <laughs> let's let's just do, do it. it. Are there any
0: Kennedys left? <laughs> Neither of these people were L.A. characters, but that we
1: certainly took them. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we've we claimed them as our own because of all this. They come for a nice little visit. Sorry. 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 Don't like daddy. Our beautiful Wilshire is, is caught up in... Yeah, what are you going to do? do? We are who we are. What yeah, do, we do you are. want? We can't protect everybody, okay? Yeah, welcome to the Miracle two. Mile. <laughs> Miracle Bullets. Rampart goes too deep. We can't protect everybody. We're sorry.
0: <laughs> Just stay away from their 10 mile radius <laughs> blast zone. On behalf of Los Angeles, we apologize. Yeah, we,
1: we apologize for producing the Rampart Division and, and any blonde ladies. I'm very interested in the blonde lady now. Yeah. You know what's funny is that neither of the two,
0: I guess you could say heroes or main characters are from LA. The killers certainly are. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> or at that. least adopted sons. Adopted sons, yeah. We've ambushed people.
0: Yeah. We're yeah. in ambush. You know what? Take a or leave us Please don't leave us. Please, God, we
1: don't know how to do this without you.
0: East Coasters. We don't know how to do this without you, loyal fans. Ah! So that's that time of the show where Daniel gets really emotional. <laughs> and please, leave us a review on iTunes if great. you like what you hear. If you don't like what you hear, you probably aren't at this point in the episode, so whatever. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It helps us out. Aside from our ego boost, it ha- makes it easier for people to find us yes. online, and we'll get more listeners, and mm-hmm. we can do this more.
1: Well, we won't do it more, but we'll keep doing it. Yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll proceed to keep doing it. Yeah. We're on Facebook. LA like Meekly. on Facebook.
0: We uh, post the episodes and articles that are relevant.
1: Mm-hmm. We are on Twitter. Twitter,
0: at LA Meekly. We, we are. post the episodes. <laughs> Enough said about that. We don't do much there. Instagram, LA underscore Meekly. We put something up. I would say if there's 30 days in a month, we do like 29 days. <laughs> baby, we need
1: one day off. Boys got to rest. My thumbs hurt. We are on Tumblr, which corresponds with the podcast episodes, mm-hmm. meekly tumblr.com
0: send us an email if you have questions comments concerns death threats confessions
1: suggestions suggestions, suggestions for, episodes.
0: for murder hits yeah that's right Greg la.meekly at gmail.com yes we will certainly respond to you
1: yeah we have nothing else to do
0: unless it's mean then we're coming for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: leave your address and your three biggest fears what would hurt you most <laughs> if we were to take that away what family member do you like the most <laughs> who's the and weakest? Or the least,
0: If you like us, tell us who you like the least. (laughs) We hope you enjoyed episode 28 of the podcast.
1: Yeah. Stick around next month. We're going to do it again. Yeah,
0: we're going to do episode
1: 28 all, all over again. again.
0: This time it's going to be good. We're going to have <laughs> answers. We're going to know who killed the Kennedys <laughs> and who killed Biggie. We're
1: going to get to the bottom of both those things with and the it, help of
0: the Rappart Police. And Division. we're going to discover it was the same person. <laughs> it was George Washington, the, the Freemason. <laughs> so, any last words, Greg? Any wishes for the listener?
1: You know, I wish that you enjoyed right. this episode and you learn a couple things. I
0: wish that you go to hell. <laughs> that has been yet another episode of L.A. Meekly staying off of Wilshire since... 2013 oh that wasn't that cute it wasn't that a nice little ditty we just (laughs)
1: did